the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Attention, social justice warriors. If you're looking for a safe space where your delicate ears won't be offended, this isn't it. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed. Now, eight minutes, almost nine minutes after the hour, 10 o'clock, and hour number two is underway. We are going to forego the President Reagan Open for this hour so that we have a couple of more minutes to talk with our guests, who I'm very excited to talk to as we continue to focus on the soon-to-be-vacant seat uh, in the in the uh, United States Senate. Rob Portman, of course, announced he is not running for re-election, and my, oh, my, did they pounce on this one. A very, very crowded field. We have already talked to former Ohio Senator or excuse me, Ohio Treasurer, rather, um, uh, Josh Mandel. We talked to former ORP Chair Jane Timken. We're going to talk probably next week to Bernie Moreno. And right now, it's my pleasure to talk to another guy who is going to be a part of this race in one way or another. He just hadn't announced it yet. J.D. Vance is a venture capitalist, and you probably know him well, as the best-selling author of Hillbilly Elegy, the story of his and the challenges of his upbringing. And, uh, J.D., it's good to have you on the program here in Cleveland. How are you? Good, good, Bob. Thanks for having me. Now, you're in town, right, because uh, the Ohio Political Summit tomorrow held by the Strongsville Republican uh, Club uh, is is coming up tomorrow, so you're in town, right? I'm not in town, actually. So I was supposed to go up to Strongsville. Well, I was in Marietta late last night, got home to Cincinnati uh, about one thirty in the morning, and was planning to go to the Strongsville event, but decided that uh, that we were going to do, do some other things on Saturday. Oh, okay. Well, I stand corrected. I, uh, I I thought I had seen your name accepted on that list. There's going to be a ton of people there, including some of the other people in this race. But let's focus on you. First of all, congratulations on the formation of the Exploratory Committee, which I guess has been called the Ohio Values Project. And And my first question is, when you were growing up in Middletown and making that trip back and forth, you know, to Appalachia, uh, Appalachian country and everything that's chronicled in your book, and even when you went to law school at Yale defying the odds, did you ever see yourself sitting on the cusp of a run for the United States Senate? No, no, not at all. It's just I've, I've, I've lived this incredibly crazy and charmed life. And, uh, you know, I, there are a lot of crazy experiences that I've had where I look back and say, man, I can't believe this actually is happening to me. And, you know, whatever happens with the Senate, uh, whether, whether, I, whether I win or not, whether I ultimately pull the trigger and run or not, uh, you know, e- even just getting to go on TV and talk about issues that I care about and the fact that people actually listen to me, uh, even when they hate my guts, it's kind of crazy that they're listening to me in the first place. And so I, I, I regularly just have to, uh, you know, knock myself on the head and say, I can't believe I, I got here and can't believe how lucky I am. You've been very successful, obviously. Um, you know, your, your college career chronicled in your book and also in the movie for anybody who saw it on Netflix was, is amazing. Uh, you know, graduating magna cum laude at Ohio State and then getting your degree from Yale. Now you're a successful venture capitalist. Why politics? Why would you not just want to continue in the private sector, make a ton of money, you know, just, just do live the American dream? Why would you want to weigh yourself down with, uh, all of the trials and travails of the, uh, of the Senate? Well, you know, I, I said a few years ago, and a congressman I know got on my case about it, I, I said, you know, 
politics is for people who seem like used car salesmen. So I don't think I'm ever going to run for office. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I thought more about that statement. And you know, if 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 we've only got used car salesmen entering the political process, then I, I think that you know the process just doesn't actually work. And I'd like to, at some basic level, think that people who care about the country, who care about the future that their kids and grandkids are going to inherit, uh, can get out there and do it for the right reason. And in some ways, there's no better way to do that uh, than to actually throw your hat in the ring. Uh, it is service. It does require some sacrifices. But if good people aren't willing to do that service, then I think our whole political system goes to crap. And, you know, there are things that I, I care about a lot that are going on in the country that I unfortunately think can't be solved except through public policy. Uh, I'm, as you, you probably know, Bob, I'm, I'm, I'm very worried about what's going on uh, with the technology industry, obviously an industry I know well and have worked in. I think they're becoming increasingly hostile to conservatives, to a conservative worldview. And, you know, one of my favorite sayings is, if you can silence the king, then you are the king. And we learned after January 6th that some of our big tech companies have the capacity to silence conservatives, even the duly elected president of the United States. And if that's happening, then you've got to get in the arena. You've got to actually be willing to fight back against some of this stuff. Uh, and if you're not willing to do that, then then you may very well watch as your country loses itself before you. Well, you know, I'm I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, and you're right. That is one of the biggest concerns because it's free speech. You know, we're talking literally about the First Amendment. And no, we can't get thrown in jail, uh, you know, if Facebook kicks us off of their off of their servers or off of their platform. But our speech is limited. And this is a problem, especially when, you know, big tech and social media have become media. I think they're a part of the uh, the fourth estate now. People get their news from social media. And when you can censor what people can find and what people can say, uh, um, that's a big problem. So since you brought it up, Senator Vance, uh, what do you do with Jack Dorsey and Marx? Because, you know, you, as you know, they've been called before House committees already uh, and have been dressed down in, in both directions, by the way, with Republicans saying you've got to stop consent- censoring conservatives and Democrats saying you've got to do more of it. You've got to shut down anybody who questions the COVID vaccine or questions climate change. Don't let them be on, on the platform. So if you're in that seat, you know, one of a hundred, but but a big, big part of it. What do you do? Well, you, you hit the nail on the head here because I don't think the committee hearing, frankly, complaining about this issue is going to do anymore. Republicans have to be willing to use the power vested in our constitutional republic to go after these companies. It's that simple. Uh, so we have to eliminate their special privileges through Section 230. Uh, we have to be willing, I believe, as, as Josh Hawley has proposed, to break these companies up because they're becoming too powerful. And I think, frankly, we have to go after their entire business model. People in Silicon Valley have this conceit that what they're doing is especially innovative. But what they're doing in Silicon Valley at a basic level is they're getting you to stare at your phone, they're selling you advertisements, and they're destroying our democracy by censoring us in the process. Uh, I don't think that's that innovative. And I think we should be willing to go after the whole business model, go after their monopoly profits, go after their power as companies, go after their special privileges. I think we have to take an all-of-the-above approach and be willing to use the power that's vested in our federal constitutional republic to go after these companies. I really do think we're going to lose our country. And it's not just censorship. To your point, uh, Bob, you know how many times I've talked to people uh, in the last few months who will come up and say, you know, I'm I'm worried – that if my if my husband says the wrong thing on his job, he's going to get fired. Or if I That's say right. the wrong thing, I'm going to get fired. Big tech has become the enforcement mechanism for this entire censorship regime that makes it impossible for Americans to exercise our most important liberty, the First Amendment right to free speech. 
You are exactly right. That is the biggest concern so many people have is cancel culture. And if you even, you know, even if you don't say the wrong thing, you say the right thing, but somebody has decided that's wrong now. For example, calling a, fe- a female her or she, and ah, oh, no, you can't call me that. <laughs> right? I mean, you can say the right thing now and still be canceled because it has become the wrong thing. That's how backwards no, Absolutely. It's JD Vance. Yeah, is our no, guest. Cr- Go ahead, sir. Yeah. Yeah, just the craziest thing about the modern left to me is how they're obsessed with language. You know, I was talking about immigration, and this has been a couple of years ago, but I said illegal immigrant or illegal alien or something or whatever the normal word that you would use for somebody who's crossed the border illegally. And somebody right. said, well, I think you should call them undocumented people. I'm like, why? why? Why do I have to change the way that I talk just to be able to participate in the modern conversation? I absolutely refuse to do that. But again, unfortunately, the people who have the power – in our democracy these days, especially these technology companies, but it's not just them, of course. It's, to your point, it's the fourth estate, it's the whole media, uh, it's, it's the government, it's increasingly the nonprofit sector. These folks are the people who determine what we're allowed to say and how we're allowed to say it, and unless we push back against it, I think you know, it's, it's not just that we're not going to be able to, to participate meaningfully, it's that even the things that we say, the way that we would like to say them, are going to be outlawed in some way. And, of course, if you can control what people say, you're fundamentally able to control what they think, and that's really the goal for a lot of these people. That is exactly the correct answer. They are trying to change the way we think, and uh, and limiting our speech is what affects that. J.D. Vance is our guest again. Venture capitalist, best-selling author, Hillbilly Elegy. Uh, I'm going to go back to the Senate issues now. Just you know, You brought up big tech. And it's certainly a huge one, but there's a lot of enormous issues uh, right now. The Democrat House has already passed and thrown to the Senate bills to federalize our elections, to pack the Supreme mm-hmm. Court, to turn Washington, D.C. into a state, to pass over $6 trillion in new spending, much of it pork barrel spending on Democrat pet projects. Another $4 trillion bill, I think, is on the way, so we're over 10. Um, and increased taxes to pay for it all. What's your biggest concern? Can you prioritize or rank those things going in if you were to be successful in this run? Oh, they're, they're all concerns, but I, I think you, know, you mentioned packing the Supreme Court, and I think that's part and parcel of a Democratic push to make it impossible for Republicans to ever win power again. And, you know, obviously I, I, I strongly disagree with the Democrats on all this stuff. There is a part of me that wishes that we were as willing to take power when we had it as they are. Uh, they're just ruthless, and I think we should be as ruthless, too. Uh, packing the Supreme Court, adding Washington, D.C. as a state, which gives them two more guaranteed Democratic senators. H.R. Uh, 1, which will change the voting system in this country, make it impossible or very hard for Republicans to win contested elections. All of this stuff is about consolidating power. And, you know, all of the substantive issues that you and I care about and are worried about, they all don't matter if we can't even win political office in the first place, if we can't even participate meaningfully in our government. So I think it's all of the ways that the Democrats are attempting to destroy our constitutional republic by expanding their own power. Uh, those, those are the things that certainly worry me the most. And I think that if we survive the next two years, you know, if Joe Manchin stays strong on the Democratic side. Uh, we're going to have an opportunity to fight back, but we've got to get through the next two years. Uh, that's exactly right. That's what in speeches that I give, people ask me, what are we going to do, particularly after we lost uh, the two Georgia runoff races and they have control of the Senate. And I said, well, we have to tread water, literally. Just don't sink. Tread water for two years. Yeah. We can't make advances until 2022. And uh, and that's when it's going to, you know, it's all going to come to a head. J.D., uh, last thing, uh, uh, in the time you and I have been speaking, this just came across my screen. House Republicans have elected Elise Stefanik as conference chair after <laughs> ousting Liz Cheney. Um 
almost exclusively because of her nonstop criticism of the former president and the America First mm-hmm. policy that is you know, still the policy guiding the party going forward, even in President Trump's absence. She was sure. bounced for the constant criticism. Now, it's been widely circulated, some of your past comments that were critical of the president. Um, sure. How do you see this party after they bounced... Liz Cheney from that position, and again, a lot of people are critical of you for your past criticism of him. Have you had kind of a you know a, a rethinking or a reawakening in that regard? Can you tell us where you are with respect to President Trump and America First as this party goes uh, you know goes in the direction it is? Yeah, I, I appreciate that. You know, I, I was and I've been very honest about the fact that I was critical of the president in 2016. I think he did a very good job, and I think importantly, the more that I learned about how our political process actually worked, the more that I appreciated his combative approach to actually shaking things up and moving the system in the right direction. I've always substantively been aligned with the American first or the Trumpist or populist or whatever word you want to use to describe it. I've always thought of myself as fundamentally a conservative populist. I really do think that on the trade issue, on the immigration issue, Trump moved the party in the right direction. And I think the problem with Cheney, it's it's not even that she criticized the president or disagreed with the president. It's it's the only thing she ever talked about. She was obsessed with Donald Trump. And, you know, unfortunately for her, he is the leader of the party. He was the leader of the party for four years as president. Uh, He'll continue to have a very big voice in it. And I I think the takeaway from that whole experience is, look, uh, you've got to be your own person. You've got to have your own views. But if you're just obsessed with one person, that person being Donald Trump or, frankly, anybody else, you shouldn't be in public life because the thing you should be most obsessed with is improving the lives of the people who you actually work for, uh, the American people. And if you're just obsessed with one person, uh, then I, I don't think you can do that. Well, I appreciate that that response. And, you know, a lot of people, I know when he first ran for president in that crowded primary field back in 2015, I was not a fan of Donald Trump's at all. Uh, I became one quickly, uh, you know, particularly after he won the nomination. And then when I saw how successful he was at implementing, you know, his vision and his campaign promises. So uh, yep. everybody's allowed to change their mind. Here's my question, if I may put you to the test as we wrap this up. Would you support, would you support Donald Trump? 2024 if he wanted to come back and make another run which a lot of people say is very very possible or do you think it's time for in 2024 a new face to be at the head uh, of the party well you know i I was an enthusiastic supporter of the president in 2020 and so uh, i've actually got no issues at all if the president wants to run again in 2024 and i would be supportive you know there are a lot of really interesting folks out there um you know I think Ron DeSantis in Florida would be a really interesting candidate. So uh, Tucker Carlson, I've heard I've heard his name mentioned. I love Tucker. You know, I go on a show all the time. I think he actually would be a very good president of the United States. Um, so I, I wouldn't, you know, pick a single person and say I'm definitely going to be behind that person. But I absolutely think the president's voice is going to be important, uh, not just for the next few years, but really the next uh, the next decade as the Republican Party continues. I think to move towards a more working class populist conservatism, which I I do think he deserves a ton of credit for pushing us in that direction in the first place. J.D. Vance, one of a large and growing, I think, group of uh, individuals uh, interested in replacing Rob Portman when his term expires, and he, of course, is not running for re-election. J.D., I really appreciate you coming on. I wish you the very best of luck. Uh, Like I said, there's a lot of really great people in this race. As you just said about the presidential race, potentially, there's a lot of good people in this race as well. I don't know how it's going to come out, but I wish you well. Thank you. Yeah, talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you so much for coming on. We'll have you back, definitely. All right, that's J.D. Vance, uh, best-selling author of Hillbilly Elegy. 
I was glad to hear him say that. You know, he's he's he has been very critical of President Trump in the past, but again, a lot of people have been, myself included, and uh, he has come around and said, "No, nope, not anymore." Your reaction to that is welcome at two one six nine zero one zero nine four five, right here on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Okay, ten twenty eight. I uh, I really wanted to, um, you know, ask that question of uh, of JD Vance. <clears throat> He's been called the Trump whisperer. Uh, there were reports that he has already met with President Trump at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, he has, I think, put his Trump criticism behind him, according to you know pretty much everybody who is following him closely. And in fact, if uh, if it's true that he met with President Trump at Mar-a-Lago, President Trump has put that criticism behind him as well. You got to remember, politics comes with a certain degree of understanding. Um, criticisms during campaigns, and then forgiveness during time to govern. Case in point, nobody was more cruel to Senator Ted Cruz back in 2016 than Donald Trump was. Nobody. Called him Lion Ted, somehow portrayed everything that Ted Cruz ever said to be a lie, uh, which was just bizarre because Ted Cruz has been nothing but honorable, but gave him that nickname because that was part of his shtick. You know, there's little Mario and Lion Ted and no energy or low energy Jeb, and it was just part of his thing. But, but in particular to Ted Cruz, and then the you know the insinuations, if you will, that somehow Ted Cruz's father was uh, involved in the in the plot to eventually assassinate Kennedy, because Ted you know Ted of Cruz of course is native Cuban. His father was anyway. You know, so you understand the the point here. It, it was brutal the way Donald Trump te- Trump Trump treated Ted Cruz, and over the course of the four years of the Trump presidency, and in the the this start of the the first year since the Trump presidency, Ted Cruz has been one of Donald Trump's biggest supporters. He put all of that negativity aside. He put all of those dirty, cruel things that were set aside because he knows that what Donald Trump was doing was right for the country. America first. He believed in it, too. So if those guys can patch up their differences, that's just the way politics works. So criticism of Donald Trump, even Liz Cheney, if she would have stopped the criticism of Donald Trump and gone on to the doing the work of the people, time would heal a lot of those wounds, but she kept up, and there it is. J.D. Vance is not, so the people are going to have uh, a choice to make. 10.30. We'll get news now, and on the other side of the news, we're going to talk with Christina Hagan, former Ohio State representative, about everything going in in our state right now. That'll be coming up next on 1420 The Answer. There are two sides to every story. There's the mainstream media side, and then there's the truth. You are experiencing the truth. The Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed. Now 1036. We continue on this Friday edition. I don't think I announced it at the top of the hour because I had J.D. Vance waiting. It is the 14th morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord, 2021. Always want to remind you, particularly of that last part. 
And Friday at this hour, it's always time for the political commentary of former Ohio State Representative Christina Hagan, who joins us once again on the program. Good morning, Christina. Hey, good morning, Bob. So we've got a lot of ground to cover here. First, let's try to take these in order. First, Christina Hagan, um, we were told this on Wednesday by Mike DeWine. Ohio Department of Health Director Stephanie McCloud will remove all pandemic health orders except those for nursing homes and assisted living facilities effective three weeks from today on June 2nd. This time will give anyone, one, anyone who has not been vaccinated time to get the one-shot Johnson Johnson vaccine or the first dose of Pfizer or Moderna, Moderna and be well on the way to full immunity for themselves. Now, first of all, I, I'm going to skip over the lie portion portion of that because there is no <laughs> such thing as full immunity when you talk about this right. vaccine because it is not a vaccination. It is uh, it is a drug that is intended to reduce your symptoms. It does not prevent transmission nor infection. So that part, that lie, will set that aside. But to encourage you to be among those who do get vaccinated, Christina Hagen. Two weeks from tonight, on May 26th, we will announce a winner of a separate drawing for adults, adults who have received at least their first dose of the vaccine. This announcement will occur each Wednesday for five weeks, and the winner each Wednesday will receive $1 million. $1 million per week for five weeks. So five weeks of million-dollar winners if you take the vaccine. But, Christina Hagen, if that's not enough incentive... Well, then there's this. The president tweeted, the rule is now simple. Get vaccinated or wear a mask until you do. The choice is yours. Now we have an authoritarian president literally telling its people, you will get that shot or you will never take that face diaper off. You will wear that mask until you take the shot. Your choice. That's a lot of stuff there, Christina Hagen. I'm going to allow you to try to unpack it as you see fit. Yeah, well, first I'd say, you know, I've heard all of it, uh, but here, even just those portions uh, is overwhelming as a mother, as a person with a brain, as an American, to think that we have even let this clown show proceed to this point where um, American rulers, non-American elected officials acting as public servants are letting us know when we can uh, resume our constitutionally derived liberties in this country. So I am Again, as usual, on a week-by-week basis, even more deeply disturbed. Uh, but I think about this, this shot. As you said, it's not a vaccination. Um, it's not an immunization. It does not provide immunity. It does not reduce or stop transmission. And the CDC and the World Health Organization and others have stated that. Um, yet we have two sides of the coin. We've got good cop and bad cop here. We've got a governor um, who has at large acted as a dictator on this issue has forced businesses to their knees, has devastated um, individuals' livelihoods that they've built their entire lives. And now he's saying, well, you know, if we can't get them to do it this way, we need an incentive for a shot that is so good um, that one must be incentivized by at least a million dollars to consider if they have to date had other reasons for not taking that vaccination, whether it's uh, laziness, whether it's... uh, They've read the vaccine insert, whether they've uh, looked at the fact that this is not um, not gone through proper trials and testing. Uh, it's time to remove all logical, rational thinking and 
uh, instead deploy people's financial needs and emotional responses and try to get people uh, to get excited about winning money over their personal health decisions. Uh, this is one of the most disgusting things I think I've ever witnessed. As a former member, as a former member of the state house, um, does he have the authority? I just don't know how this works in terms of you know this money was given to the state of Ohio for COVID relief. Um, as I've noted on the program, and many other people have, that means providing relief to businesses that were shuttered or limited during the pandemic, that lost almost everything, if not losing everything, that are going to try to rebuild to get their uh, places of business up and running again, to get people back to work and so forth. Um, giving $5 million away to five individuals to incentivize them into taking this jab is not COVID relief. It's not, it's not what these dollars are for. Does he have the authority to do that unilaterally? Yeah, you know, so I think that there's been pushback from the legislature. I know that the Senate president, uh, at least in what I read in the Toledo Blade, had expressed dissent, had asked him not to move forward with this. So it seems as though he's able to do this without the legislative body, without their authority. Um, it doesn't seem like something that would go through the controlling board. We've never witnessed a massive dump of money like this from the federal government before. So it's, it's difficult to navigate what is allowable and what's not. Um, it seems like it's being promoted across the country. I would say it's likely illegal, but that's yet to be defined. And even the attorney general said, even if something is legal, it doesn't mean that it should be prudent or done or executed. And so I thought that was an interesting um, take from our state attorney general. I do think that it is or should be unlawful. I mean, it's absolutely, and this is, again, you know, this is a conscience issue. They're using people's taxpayer-funded money to promote something that is against many Ohioans' conscience, religious beliefs, um, their right to exercising their personal medical autonomy and liberty. And there are so many questions um, in this absurdity of how they would even track who has and hasn't been vaccinated. But again, I see I see this scenario playing out where we've got the good cap. I'm going to give you a million dollars or free education. So coercion for people that may be in a position of financial difficulty to now take the shot because they're vulnerable individually. They feel that I didn't want to get this shot. I didn't feel comfortable getting this shot. We're seeing what we see in the workplace, but worse. Uh, so let's incentivize these people to get it. And then we've got the federal government, the CDC, and Joe Biden saying, you will get the shot or you will never have your life back. So it's coming from both directions. I don't think it's legal. I think this, these are violent acts against humanity, against our health. We will see lawsuits um, at large, and I think um, humanitarian lawsuits across the board. Yeah, I think so as well. Um, let me stay with the Ohio part of this before I go to the CDC. Um, SB 22 passed about two months ago, as we know. Uh, Mike DeWine override, over, or excuse me, vetoed it. It was overridden by uh, the General Assembly, and it takes effect 90 days later, which is going to be on June 23rd. Already, and I spoke yesterday to Representative Wiggum, who uh, wrote and co-sponsored or is sponsoring a resolution to lift all COVID mandates in the state, all of them. That was going to take effect on the 23rd. Do you think that's the only reason Mike DeWine made this play and made the announcement on Wednesday that June 2nd? In other words, he's going to lift the restrictions before the General Assembly does it to him. Not for him, because he doesn't want it to be done at all. But he knows he can't stop it because of SB 22 passing. Do you think this is why DeWine acted now, is just to kind of save himself politically? 
Yeah, and Bob, you and I, I mean, we we discussed this a few weeks ago early on in the midst of this when it looked like we were getting some great momentum with Senate Bill 22 and the reality of, hey, we're 90 days out from freedom. Um, we're 90 days out from getting our rights back, at least getting the government off our backs. Our rights yeah. should have never been disrupted, but we're we're getting some relief in 90 days because of the legislative action um, and their willingness to override the governor. And we said in that moment, I don't think he'll let them be the victors, even though it will be against, you know, Evergreen and his body. He wants this agenda, but he would rather be the one who gave that liberty back, be the guy that made everyone happy. And that's, I mean, that's what we're seeing now, because otherwise the stories would read in three weeks. Uh, governor of Ohio overrode, you know, all of this is a public shame and embarrassment for uh, the executive branch. That's why the executive branch works so immensely hard to stop the legislature from ever being independent or doing the things that they feel convictions based upon acting upon. I watched it happen time and time again with me to override where we would be so close and then they would pick members off one by one, pleading with them behind the scenes. And there's, you know, this coercion of getting the vaccine is no different than the coercion that happens in the legislative branch between the executive and the legislative. You know, if you do this, there will be no working relationship with you. If you stand against me, I will, you know, all your bills will be dead in the water. Uh, it's very difficult to do the right thing when there are always so many substantial voices and interested parties that are standing against you. But in this case, the legislators led, and now the governor has decided to roll back these uh, directives early because he wants to be the victor and not the embarrassed egg on the face right. leader. Christina Hagen is our guest, former Ohio State representative. <clears throat> My, uh, two two points of concern here. Number one is <clears throat> he lifts this on June second, and whether or uh, the whether or not the resolution that the uh, uh, that Representative Wiggum and others sponsored that I just talked about passes or not. Um, they can play a game here. Mike DeWine can play a game here. Um, once these orders are lifted, he can then, if he wants to, a week later, saying, well, we tried it and cases spiked again for a week. We're reinstituting the orders. The way that Senate Bill 22 reads, those would be in place for 30 days. Now, there's another 30-day period, right, before a new resolution could be passed to lift those orders. As long as he changes the language a little bit and it's a new order, he gets the, that to stay in place for another 30 days because the uh, legislature cannot challenge that or vote to overturn that or lift that or end that for 30 more. Yeah, that's, it's not ideal. Um, I think it's something the legislature needs to take a closer look at uh, to see how we restore that liberty instantaneously rather than delayed, especially if the games persist. Um, it will be interesting politically to see if they do, though, right? Because the CDC is now saying, oh, you know, it was doom and gloom 30 days ago, four weeks ago. It was the darkest time in America. And now suddenly uh, you're safe to resume life as usual if you've been vaccinated once or twice. Um, so I would say it will be interesting to see how it plays out. I think that um, these Republican leaders who are on this stint, along with the Democrat administration, with Biden and others, are realizing that their popularity is tanking, uh, that the American public is absolutely fed up. Uh, we have bigger fish to fry. We have gas shortages. We have the highest rates of inflation in a decade. There's over 700,000 jobs that should have been filled, were projected to be filled, that were not filled because of the poor and terrible management of money in this country. We have a war breaking out in the Middle East. We have a border crisis. 
And this has all happened in the last four months. So I think people are done taking crap and will not be sitting by when these types of things are happening in the near future. Yeah, I hope not. And and there's one other element to this that we have to discuss, that um, this lifting of the orders, neither this lifting of the orders nor the um, the resolution that, that was sponsored, um, vacates the need for House Bill 248, does it? Because House Bill 248, you know, you were just saying, how are they going to prove who is vaccinated and who is not? Uh, House Bill 248 would not only make it illegal for any vaccine passport to be required by the state, it would also make it illegal for it to be required by private companies so that you can either work at a place or be a patron or a, or a customer or a client of a business, of a private company or business. Uh, also, 248, the changed language in it, as I understand it, eliminates any discrimination or it would ban discrimination. So in other words, a company can't make you get vaccinated to work there, but they could potentially pass you over for promotions because they're angry that you didn't get vaccinated or not give you plum assignments because of that sort of thing. So any backlash or discrimination against a uh, an employee or a patron uh, would be outlawed uh, based on your vaccine status if 248 passes. That makes this still pretty much crucial, does it not? Yeah, I would say that these bills, 248, uh, the Brenner bill in the Senate, all of these bills are more relevant than they've ever been. I mean, we're just starting to see this thing, the ugly head of this root um, to the top and see the face of what we're dealing with. I mean, this has all been brewing for decades. Um, and now we're seeing the reality of this country moving towards a vaccine passport. And while they may not be saying it, you know, why such a great need to incentivize it if it's if we're living at a time when it's safe enough to open things up, then why are we giving away a million dollars for somebody to receive a vaccine? And why is Biden saying that it has to happen? If you don't get vaccinated, it has to happen. He's just giving us the preview of the reality that there is still going to be a forced vaccine passport. Um, they're still going to be infringing on our personal autonomy, our rights. Uh, whether they're doing that through corporations or government entities, we need to protect individuals and their personal health decisions from discrimination and bills like this in state legislatures are the only way that we can do that in a sustainable way. And we have to be um, very vigilant about it. And thankfully, uh, again, you know, Governor DeSantis continues to lead on these fronts for liberty, for individual rights. Um, and he's forming kind of a safe haven uh, for those who are under attack and uh, will pardon people that are being uh, wrongfully discriminated against on these issues. So it's, there is a war waging. These bills are important. They need to be vetted by the legislature. They need to be heard. Bring all the IPs in. And I, the thing that was always frustrating to me was the IPs who didn't want these bills for personal autonomy and medical liberty for individuals, um, they never wanted to compromise, and they didn't even want the bill to go to committee. What is so wrong with transparency and having a discussion unless the liability, the adverse impacts, um, the negative side of this is so real that they don't even want the testimony of individual Ohioans to be heard. This is a very real issue. It needs to be played out in the legislature, and people need to worry less about uh, campaign promises as far as financial support and more about the future of this country because we are headed downhill quick. No question about it. Look at that. You tee her up, and she hits it out of the park each and every time. Terrific analysis all the way around. Christina Hagan, former Ohio State representative, thank you so much for the great conversation. Have yourself a wonderful weekend, and we'll talk next week.
You too, Bob. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's Christina Hagen. We'll take our final time out at 1052 and come right back on AM 1420 The Answer. Hey, I want to um, make a little announcement here. I want to say thanks to my friend David Arredondo, who's the uh, chair of the uh, Republican Party in Lorain County. He's the one who connected me with J.D. to make that conversation happen. We spoke with uh, J.D. Vance earlier. If you missed that conversation, it will be available, as all of our interviews are, at um, uh, whkradio.com. Just go to the podcast page there, uh, click Bob Vance Authority, and find the hour that you want to listen to. It'll be obviously our number two for today's for J.D. Vance. Anyway, J.D. Vance uh, announced he was not going to be at the Ohio Political Summit in Strongsville tomorrow, but he is going to be in uh, uh, Lorraine. He's going to be at the Lorraine County GOP headquarters tomorrow at 10 a.m., that's at 1913 North Ridge Road uh, in Lorraine. So if you would like to meet J.D., uh, you can do so. Ask him questions, uh, engage in conversation, kind of get a measure of the man. So it's a meet and greet with J.D. Vance tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock to 11, at uh, the Lorraine County GOP headquarters, 1913 North Ridge Road in Lorraine. So uh, if you'd like to do that, please take advantage. All right, let me see what we're going to do here. I've only got about two minutes left. All right, I can take probably one call, maybe two. Gary in Olmstead Township. Gary, you're up. Go ahead, sir. Hey, Bob. Yes, sir. Brilliant interview with Katie Vance. You asked all the right questions. I'm, I'm, I'm like sitting here asking this, asking this, and and, and you did it. It was like the next question you 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 asked was exactly what I wanted to hear. I also want to tell you that your expose on uh, the Palestinian Jewish issue yeah. on Wednesday was phenomenal absolutely phenomenal you're doing a great job bob love you and uh god you're you're such a godsend to uh, the area here and uh everything that you do to help us keep our heads above water well i appreciate you saying that i don't know if i like the term godsend see if i give credit to god for the stuff that i do well that means i have to blame him for all of the bad stuff that i do and i don't want to do that to god well no you're (laughs) sent by god but we're not god gets all the credit but uh you know you know, you're sent by God, and we, we appreciate your great, no, your I, great I, I, I do appreciate that. Obviously, I'm just teasing here, but I appreciate the compliments. Thank you, Gary. I appreciate the phone call. Oh. Uh, not everybody appreciates the kind of stuff that we talk about on this program and the things we do. You know, as has been obvious over the course of the last 14 months on, on this show since the pandemic hit and everything else, I have been anti-mask, and I have been anti-social distancing, and I have been anti-vaccine. Well, I shouldn't say that. It's not fair. I'm not for the vaccine. I am questioning of the vaccine. Uh, I do not say I am anti-vaccine because that would mean I'm telling you not to get it. And I am certainly not telling you that. Not at all. I'm asking you to do your own homework, do your own research, look at all of the potential benefits, the potential downfalls, the potential side effects, whatever the case might be. You make your own decision. That's the beauty of a free country. My body, my choice. And I... I want to I want to use that just real quick as we wrap it up today. I got a message from a friend of mine who used that argument, my body, my choice, in explaining why he's not getting the vaccine to a friend of his. And his friend called him out and said, aha, then how come you are pro-life and pro, not uh, pro-choice? My body, my choice. And I'll just wrap it up with the simple answer to that. When a pregnant woman is considering whether or not to end her pregnancy, it is not just her body that's at issue, and thus not just her choice. 
There is another body at issue, and that baby's body matters. And that baby can't express his or her choice, so we express his or her choice for her, him or her. In the same way we would if somebody was about to kill an infant, we would say that child cannot express its desire to live, so we are going to express that desire on its behalf and say stop. When it comes to the virus, however, it is only my body, and thus it is only my choice. And that's where it will rest. We'll see you a month.